Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Jehocraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Tuesday evening, another evening where we have the opportunity to talk about another saint, another great man who uh, shows us the way, huh? shows us what it means to be a better version, a better Christian, a better Catholic, that person that God calls us to be. And uh, this evening, it is St. Boniface. Uh, I tell you what, a saint that uh, we probably don't know enough about. Uh, in preparing for this evening's program, I was personally uh, deeply moved by this man. You know, last week we had uh, St. Bede the Venerable. Uh, this week, St. Boniface. These are great men, and it is Tuesday, so I will talk about St. Boniface with John O'Hara. John, it is great to have you with me another evening. Thank you, Joe. It's good to be here. So, uh, St. Boniface, you know, John, it's really interesting when you start to go into history and see how one saint, two saints, maybe three saints impacted whole countries. Yes. It's really a striking thing. And and certainly we talked about that last week with St. Bede, the Venerable, and, and England and what he meant to England, and this week St. Boniface, and not only what he meant to Germany, but in many ways how he united Germany, England, and, and France to the Sea of Rome. We'll talk about that, but this is a man who had an extraordinary impact on the universal church, and a man that uh, we do need to know more about. John, before we get into the biographical piece to St. Boniface, I want to say one more thing here. You know, we have the tendency to just forget about history. Uh, We need to tell the stories. I was really thinking about this on the way over here uh, this evening. We need to remember the stories that have come before us so as to appreciate uh, who we are and where we are going, especially in our spiritual history, in our church history, because it is there where we gain an appreciation for the tenacity, John, of those who have gone before us. Telling the stories, the stories in of themselves, and the greatness of the stories is so important. The ups and downs, uh, the, the peaks and the valleys, so many different nuances to discover from one saint to the next as we get to know them. So this is what uh, this program is about, and certainly uh, this evening, St. Boniface. So, John, what can we say about St. Boniface? Well, we can say that he was a dynamo, to be sure. He is called mm-hmm. the Apostle to the Germans, Apostle to Germany. He came after St. Bede by about 40, 50 years. He was born in southern England. Bede was from northern England. He was born in southern England. And uh, when about, about age five, some monks visited his home. He came from some landowning Anglo-Saxons. This mm-hmm. is before the Norman invasion. And from that visit, he wanted to be a monk. And so at about age seven or age eight, his parents brought him to a local monastery, and he was brought in. He was bright. He learned his lessons. He was obedient. And uh, as he got a little older, he wanted to become a monk, and uh, he was made a monk, and he was ordained to the Catholic priesthood when he was 30 years old. And he was a scholar right from the get-go, and he was very good in Latin, wrote Latin poetry, and he also wrote a the first Latin grammar in English for Englishmen mm-hmm. to learn Latin. Mm-hmm. Important. Very I important. I hope, hope we can get yeah. back to that later. Yeah. And so he was ordained a priest, 
And shortly thereafter, he wanted, uh, he could have had a very nice, we'll call it an academic career in the monasteries of England. He could have written and done scripture study, etc. He wanted to go and do missionary work, and he wanted to go to Germany. So he went to Germany. He landed in a place called Frisia, that is actually northern Holland. Mm-hmm. And he went there, and the uh, local guy there was kind of nasty, and he decided it would be best if he left. So he left, spent two years in England, and went to Rome. And there, Pope Gregory II, not Gregory the Great, Gregory II, gave him an, a formal letter and uh, recommendations to go into Germany and to preach. So he went north through Italy, crossed the Alps, went into Bavaria, and he began to convert. Mm-hmm. And he worked quite hard, and he was successful, and the Germans came to the church. And uh, he also got to meet Charles Martel. Now, Charles Martel was famous, extremely famous, for winning the Battle of Poitiers. Mm-hmm. Let me get off track a little bit. One, not, not off track one, at all, yeah. <laughs> and remember, Charles Martel was the leader of, we'll call them barbarians. They were pretty civilized by this time. And I think he is the father of Charlemagne. So mm-hmm. he's Now, anyway... Um, Charles Martel had a wife named, I believe her name was Cotilda, and she was Catholic, and she converted him, and he became a Catholic, and I think the way a lot of these tribes got converted is if the chief becomes a Catholic, you just say, hey, boys, let's go down to the river, we're all going to get baptized, and 3,000 of the soldiers go down, and they're baptized. Now, we're not talking devoted Catholics, but they're baptized. Yep, so, yep. Okay, uh, Boniface meets him, and he gives him permission and encourages him to go north of Bavaria, go into Hesse, and to continue um, with his missionary work. Boniface was born Winifred, but he was changed. His name got changed to Boniface. Now think of the Latin "bone," that means good, "face," do good. Mm-hmm. So his name got changed to Boniface from Winifred. Yeah, and it's interesting here. I want to interject, John. Uh, here we have a name change, and we really begin to see this. There's a significance to a name change. We see this in sacred scripture, huh? Yes. Um, from Abram to Abraham, from Sarai to, to Sarah, from Jacob to Israel, so on and so forth. Uh, certainly in the New Testament, uh, Simon to Peter, Saul to Paul. With a name change, there's an elevation of status. And often, and, and you just noted it, every name has a meaning, right? And so Boniface to do good. So with the name change, it points to something as it relates to uh, their new vocation. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, you look at the name change from Simon to Peter, huh? Simon Barjona to Peter. Peter means rock. Christ says what? Upon this rock, I will build my church. Peter becomes the first rock, that first foundation stone, that first pope, uh, that prime minister to serve the people of God. In antiquity, names pointed to a foreordained purpose and vocation, and certainly this is what we begin to see again, John, in the likes of a Winfred to Boniface. That is correct. Um, He was made a bishop uh, by a, a pope, I think it was Pope Zachary, Pope Gregory the Second having died, and Pope Gregory the Third. Anyway, mm-hmm. he was made bishop, bishop actually of Germany, and he was had the it was an archbishop, and he could consecrate other bishops, which he did. And he organized a church, he held synods, he built monasteries, and then he invited English people to come on over and work in these missions, which they did. Quite a few of them came over, including a man whose name was L U L L L, Englishman, but he became kind of his successor. One of the famous stories is he went to a large tree, oak tree, somewhere in Gutenberg at Gesheim, and this was a very holy tree, the tree of Thor, and he said, this is a bunch of baloney, there's no Thor, and he said, you play with that tree, and you're, they're, they're going to just kill you with lightning and thunder. He chopped the tree down, it fell into many pieces, and there was great conversions at mm-hmm. this, Thor mm-hmm. was seeing, I mean, it kind of reminds me a little bit of um, 
uh, Elijah. And oh, the, uh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Carmel, you know? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, and he didn't kill anybody. He just chopped no. down the tree. Sure. So there were great conversions. He built monasteries, uh, particularly one at Fulda, which is where he's buried. Now, as he got older, he remembered his situation in Holland, and he wanted to go back. And he went back. And uh, again, the Dutch hadn't changed that much. And he was, by this time, in his mid-70s. And he went there with some people, me, I've heard is 50. He went there and he began to preach the word and they threatened to kill him. And he told his disciples, his followers, don't do anything. We are here to spread the word. We're not here to fight. Mm-hmm. But they killed him. Mm-hmm. And uh, his body was brought back to Fulda where it was buried. And he was quite revered in England for a while until the Norman invasion. Mm-hmm. And then his English popularity declined, although he was always popular in Germany. Then around the 1850s, 1857, I think he was put on the Roman calendar, and he's been revered ever since. Amen. You know, one of the things uh, that really struck me, John, and, and you touched upon it, you know, he had an initial encounter with someone in his evangelization that really discouraged him uh, at first, but in the end, he did not lose heart. He, he went back, and when I was reading about St. Boniface, it really did strike me, you know, we so often in our evangelization effort uh, get discouraged, and we lose heart, and we, we don't evangelize as God calls us to evangelize. But in fact, he picked himself up again a second time, and with even more vigor did he go and evangelize the pagans. And, and uh, I think that there's a lesson in there for us, John. I have said often that a, a saint is not the person who is... Uh, perfect, but the the person who gets up a second and third time. Well put. I think that's what he did. He got up again and again. I mean, this man, as I was reading through his life, uh, just, he had several things going for him. First of all, he believed in the doctrine of the Church, Mm -hmm. and second, he believed in a work ethic. He went out there and did it all the time, and he was loyal to the Church, loyal to Rome, Mm -hmm. and he just really was admirable. He just went out there every day. Yeah, and when you read his life and some of the commentaries about his life, some of the the, the biographers, you really get a sense that the other bishops and uh, the the popes had a great affection for him. We have seen this with other saints, but I'll tell you, this has come through, at least in my reading, uh, as much as anyone else, his great affection. Some of that had to do with his great skill and administration and organization— as I noted off the top, John, this is a very important figure when you begin to look at him in light of just not what he did for Germany, but again, what he did for Germany, France, England, and uniting those three countries back to uh, the Holy See in Rome. Uh, he founded a great number of dioceses, again, for Germany, but also in France and England. So the impression he left in early, early Christendom, in those early, early Middle Ages, had a lasting, lasting impact. One thing I alluded to earlier, I just want to go back to, is he was a Latin scholar. He wrote the Latin Mm -hmm. book, and he continued to write and work on Latin. And I may have mentioned this at some other program, but Ron MacArthur, the founder of uh, Thomas Aquinas College, I I attended a talk he gave somewhere around 2008, well, after he had left that job at Thomas Aquinas College, And he talked about the importance of grammar, that this was important in the church, and that you really, you had to understand the scripture. You had to understand what its real message was, and it was Mm -hmm. important to get these translations correct and understand what they meant. And I'm reminded of St. Augustine, whom we 
had some shows on, and it was St. Anselm who kind of taught him how to interpret the Bible. Mm-hmm. And the Bible, I think, is under attack today mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a lot with people saying, oh, this God is just a just the same as the pagan gods that mm-hmm. uh, who were around at that time. Why should I take him seriously? Mm-hmm. No, there's a lot more going on in the Old Testament mm-hmm. than just a god of vengeance. Yeah, because when you have the right translation, you have a deeper uh, coherency to the intelligible coordination uh, and seamlessness, if you will, John, of the Old and New Testament, and you can really begin to see one verse in light of another, one book in light of another, and suddenly all 73 books begin to make all the more sense, and we uh, no longer find ourselves saying, well, this is a God of contradiction because what he says in the old is so contradictory with what he says in the new. No, when you read one in light of the other, uh, we read them for the way we are called to read them. Uh, Something else as you are speaking to the importance of grammar, uh, maybe by way of illustration, John, uh, we can go to Luke one twenty-eight a very important verse to better understanding Mary's Immaculate Conception. In that greeting, in that angelic salutation, hail full of grace, or it has been translated as rejoice, O highly favored one, the Greek and the grammatical sense is very important because the word itself, kekartomene, yes, means rejoice, O highly favored one, or hail full of grace, but it's the fact that it's a perfect participle. Okay, a perfect uh-huh. participle is an action completed in the past. So here you have the angel greeting Mary, kekartomene, hail full of grace. You who have been graced from the beginning, you who have already been fully graced. Okay, see, this is the importance of language. This is, I'm, I would anticipate what this former president of Thomas Aquinas was talking about, and certainly what St. Boniface was all about. Something else, John. The word itself, grammar, in the Latin, means what? Beauty. Beautiful. Oh, I did okay? not know that, Joe. Okay. Isn't, isn't that striking? That the yeah. word grammar, that which seems so mundane and so boring, actually means something beautiful. Yes. So when we use appropriate grammar, isn't it something beautiful? Yes, it is. And why do we need to rekindle this? Certainly for our translations. But there's something else, and Bennett Sixteenth. Uh, really brings this home, that uh, we need to recapture not only a stronger grammatical sense, but also uh, Boniface's love for poetry, another yes. word that is tied to, to something beautiful. When you talk about poetry and stanzas, and uh, I'm not a poet, I, I can't carry on about what poetry is all about, but I do know that I'm drawn to good poetry. Why? Because it evangelizes the imagination. I'm drawn to that which is beautiful. And so what St. Boniface has for us today is this whole idea to really uh, appreciate beauty in of itself and how we need to lead with this beauty in our evangelization. Exactly. In the accounts I was reading of him, he tried to bring Catholic doctrine and culture together, Mm -hmm. the music, the poetry, the Mm -hmm. literature. And because if you have a culture and excellent Christian doctrine, you have a very good package. And I think that's one of the problems of our own time, where the culture is just kind of falling apart into, I I can do whatever I want to do, as long as it really doesn't hurt anybody, Mm -hmm. immediately at least. He was aware that that was an important part Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of a a Catholic presence in Germany or anywhere else. Yeah, he had a deep sense of even what the word culture itself means. Culture, cultus, uh, means to worship— 
but it also in its Latin root again means to till the ground. So he understood if we are going to create a culture of love, to build up a civilization of love and truth, we need to begin to work, to, to till the ground. Yes. And how do you do that? But with the Word of God, to let that seed go down deep into the soil so that it might become fertile and ultimately, you know, what would spring forth would be uh, the beauty of truth. This was very close to the heart of uh, St. Boniface, and this is why Benedict XVI, being a German himself, yes. certainly waxed eloquently about this man as he does about everyone. Yeah. But he had a special affection for him, and he really, John, went out of his way to show that this man of the 8th century was a man for the new evangelization today. Um, very important. And as we talk about evangelization, something else struck me about St. Boniface, and that is his person-to-person encounters how the transformation of one soul led to the transformation of whole societies. It was really striking, you know, to really get into what he was about, John. Again, it moved me. You know, it had me challenging uh, myself. Okay, am I being present to that person-to-person encounter, realizing that God wants to do something great in each and every encounter? Uh, St. Boniface embraced this truth, and this is why, this is the first reason why he was so successful. He embraced his own relationship with God and the Word of God, and you said he had a great love for doctrine. Uh, He had a great love for the apostles. Uh, He embraced the faith, and out from that embracing of the faith, he was full of enthusiasm, and he was charged to evangelize. Uh, We talked, oh gosh, what, two and a half, three months ago, John, about the Benedictines and how they used to take Uh these uh, marshes and and, and swamps and through a great engineering feat, build these great monasteries, and at their peak uh, would number 37,000. Well, St. Boniface had a lot to do with that. Yes, he did. (laughs) A lot to do with that, because once they established these dioceses, he called in the monks. As you noted, he called in the monks, and once you call in those reinforcements, I tell you what, yeah. <laughs> you're going to win over lots of souls. And they educated the pagans, huh? You talked yeah. about the pagans. They would go down into the river, they would be baptized in the thousands, and then they would be educated. And uh, this was the vision of one St. Boniface, uh, one that, again, had a lasting impact. The fact that he had in his charism, in, in his personality, the ability to reach out to these other countries, just not Germany, and unite them, and to teach them the importance of Rome and the Holy See. And you really do begin to see in the late 8th century uh, with St. Boniface, and you mentioned uh, Martel and certainly Charlemagne, he was very important, Uh, something developing in history as it relates to how we think about the universal church today and the importance of Rome. This is beginning to really take shape and form in the 8th century. I am beginning to realize as we go through this show how important all these people were to the building up of Christendom, mm. the Catholic Church. I mean, I mean, go back to our very beginning uh, people, yeah. and it really is impressive. Mm. If I could just read, uh, his, uh, his feast day is on June the 5th, mm-hmm. and I looked up in the Liturgy of the Hours, and they had one of his writings, and this will only take about 45 seconds mm. to read it. The ancient fathers showed us we should carry out this duty. Clement, Cornelius, and many others in the city of Rome, Cyprian of Carthage, Athanasius at Alexandria, they all lived under emperors who were pagans. They all steered Christ's ship, or rather his most dear spouse, the church. This they did 
by teaching and defending her, by their labors and sufferings, even to the shedding of blood. Mm. This Mm. was his mission. Mm -hmm. He could have been, like I said, the academic in England, but this was his calling, and he went out, and he did it. Mm -hmm. And I liked his OBA, his his recalling the people that came before him, just mm-hmm. about all of these people we've had shows about yeah, shows we yeah, go through, yeah, and, right. and this is this is what they have passed on, and this is what he has passed on. Mm-hmm. Amen. And uh, reading as we are now, the development of Christendom in Europe, which became hugely Christian, Christian, mm-hmm. and very important. I, I'm sorry, there's a, issues going on right now. Yeah, but yeah. wow, it was fascinating to see how it became Christianized, and it became very Christian. The churches that are still there are among the most breathtaking religious buildings anywhere in the world. Oh, they really are. I mean, if you were to go to Germany, um, I've had the chance to, to go to Germany on one occasion. Extraordinary. And certainly just not the cathedral in Cologne, Germany. That is, that yes. in itself is amazing. But there are still a number of monasteries there. Now, with World War II and Hitler, a number of those were destroyed, tragically so, a great, a great number of them. But there's still uh, some monasteries that have survived, and they are uh, extraordinary. They really are. And I don't know if we've noted it on this radio program, but, you know, when uh, Pope Francis talked to the European Parliament some, what was it, maybe a month ago, John, he really challenged them. In fact, Mm -hmm. he was a bit edgy in his language, as he always is, and he called them uh, nothing more than infertile grandmothers. Huh. Because they have lost their Christian identity. They have lost their Christian roots. I mean, this is a man who has been very outspoken. Here's another case. Calling Europe in its moral relativism, he actually used that phrase, and I noted it on another radio program. Benedict could have actually written what he what he said to this European parliament, called them an infertile grandmother. Yeah. You know what I mean? How provocative is that? And I speak to this now, John, because... He was looking back into history, into the first days of England and Germany and France, and remember Christendom, remember the monks, remember where yeah. you come from. Right. You know, and he was talking about all this in light of the latest numbers that came out as it relates to birth rate. He was speaking to infertility for a reason. Anyhow, all very important because St. Boniface is such an instrumental figure when you start talking about, as we've been talking about, John, the building up of uh, Christendom. And I would be remiss if we did not touch upon, John, a little more of what that person-to-person encounter was about, because let us pull back a little bit and ask the question, I mean, how does one evangelize a pagan? Now, what does that look like? How does one evangelize the barbarians? If they can't even remember barbarian, blah, 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 you know, they, they can't yeah. speak. You know, how do you do that? Well, uh, first you call upon the grace of God, as St. Boniface and so many others did, but you simplify the message. You simplify the message. St. Boniface didn't have some great, grand program for evangelization and catechesis. He just simplified the message. And in doing so, he was able to share with them uh, the power of Jesus Christ. Uh, what do I mean by simplifying? Well, something as, you know, what does Jesus mean? We talked about mm-hmm. the importance yes. of a name, John. Yeshua, God saves. God saves us from what? Well, sin. So you talk about sin and grace. You talk about the story of salvation history. You connect the dots for them. Uh, you educate them so they can, what? Begin to uh, connect the dots themselves. And what yeah. you have is an evangelization at work. One, 
for St. Boniface, and you really see this when you read about him, one that was rooted in a deep, deep love for Jesus Christ, a love that in of itself, John, one can speculate, was the first thing that evangelized these barbarians. I recall last week we talked about St. Bede, and he wrote the history of Christianity in England, Mm -hmm. and he mentioned this story about a monk who went to a local chieftain in England, and he began to talk to one of their dinners where all of the assembled uh, to-dos and the Mm -hmm. tribe were around, Mm -hmm. and the local, we'll call him witch guy, was quite impressed, and he says, you know, we may want to take a good serious look at this because, uh, you know, it's like a bird, it's quite comfortable sitting here, but when we fly outside, we're all caught up in the dangers that are out there. Mm-hmm. This God will protect us. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they became Christians. So uh, first of all, he went in and he met the powers that be, mm-hmm. wasn't afraid. Mm-hmm. He knew how the society worked. You convert the chieftain and you have a good chance to get everybody else. That's right. Yeah. You know, uh, one of his last words, I, I think, John, was, uh, have courage in the Lord. That might have been his, uh-huh. his last piece. Have courage in the Lord. And how important is that, huh? Was not John Paul II's mantra, coraggio, yes. cast in the deep, do not fear, have courage. And of course, John Paul II is the father to the new evangelization and this great mission that God has entrusted us with, and uh, one that we can learn and gain insight uh, from with St. Boniface. Uh, so yeah. important. Uh, you know, John, I'm uh, looking up at the clock, and I think we are out of time before we go, I really want to encourage our listening audience to, you know, after we're done here on the radio program, to really read up on these men. And certainly this evening, St. Boniface, go into his writings. I don't think that I've done this enough or we've done this enough to really encourage them to go into their writings. I would encourage you to go to newadvent.org or go to the lives of the saints. John, you read from the Divine Office, yes. right? The Breviary, uh, the Liturgy of the Hours. Get your hands on uh, the Breviary. You'll read not only about St. Boniface, but so many other great saints. I cannot encourage enough our listening audience, both locally and abroad, to pick up a book or to get online to get to know these saints and what they're about. Uh, especially St. Boniface. Uh, what a shame that we don't know more about St. Boniface. What a shame um, that we don't spend enough time with these saints who really are the heroes of virtue yeah. and show us what it means to be a faithful Christian, a faithful Catholic, and the best version of who God is calling us to be. Okay. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.